Let's do it. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey, the World Juniors. Hi, this is uh, Spencer Knight. This is Matt Boldy. Hey guys, this is Cam York from Team USA. Hello, this is Tim Stutzler. Hi, my name is Noel Gunnler. I'm Alexander Holtz of the Team Sweden. Hey, I'm Dylan Cousins. Hey, it's Phil Tomasino. Hi, this is Devin Levi. Major Junior. Looks back to the point, turns, fires, scores! What a shot! First OHO goal for Shane Wright. Right circle, shot, scores! Connor Bedard has arrived here at the Brad Center, is first in the Western Hockey League. NCAA. Save! Watch out! Watch out! UMass are national champions! The NHL Draft. I am Slash and Kosa. This is Don Gunther of the Emmett Snow Kings. This is Luna McLoom from UGarn here. Hi, I'm Brent Clark. Hi, uh, this is Matt Coronado from the Chicago Steel. It's Zachary LaRue from the Halifax Moosehead. Hey, it's Paul Stones with a two-fall stampede. This is Fabian LaSalle. I play for Lulio. Hey, it's Corson Kuhlman from Brooks Bandit. Hi, this is Chaz Lucius. This is Logan Sandkoven. I play for the Camels Blazers. It's just Wolfis from uh, Lulio Hockey. And more. Bring it! This is the Pipeline Show. The WHL and the Ontario Hockey League playoffs begin this weekend. The Alberta Junior Hockey League has reached its final. Doesn't start for another week, but we've got the two teams. The World U18s kick off this weekend as well. And the regular season in the USHL wraps up. The Quebec Major Junior Hockey League regular season is a couple of weeks uh, still to go before the playoffs begin. Welcome to the Pipeline Show, everybody. Great to talk with you once again. If you're a newcomer to the show then welcome aboard. Thank you for downloading this week's episode. Let me know on Twitter at TPS underscore Guy why you downloaded this week's episode, if it's your first one, where you're listening from, and uh, how you found out about the show. Always curious to hear about that. And you returning listeners, hey, feel free to do that as well. Again, on Twitter at TPS underscore Guy. The Pipeline Show is brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. W-I-L-H-A-U-K. BeefJerky.com. It's Alberta's best beef jerky because you can't win friends with salad. Two locations, one in Leduc, one in Spruce Grove. But if you're in Western Canada, you don't have to make the drive in. They will ship it to you any order, anywhere, any size. It comes vacuum sealed, perfectly fresh, and absolutely delicious on delivery. WilhawkBeefJerky.com. You will thank me for it and tell them the Pipeline Show sent you. Let's get right to it. The uh, WHL playoffs. One series begins before all the other ones. Seven of them start on Friday, but Edmonton and Lethbridge begin the playoffs this year on Thursday. That's why this week's episode is coming out a little bit early, because one of my guests obviously is to set up that series. So in the Western Conference, you have Winnipeg taking on Prince Albert. Moose Jaw will open up at home against Saskatoon, the Oil Kings against Lethbridge, and the Red Deer Rebels will square off against the Brandon Wheat Kings. Out west, you have the Everett Silvertips and Vancouver Giants meeting in the first round. Kamloops will play Spokane. Portland against Prince George. The uh, travel in that one, pretty significant. I actually thought they might do the 2-3-2 two, two format, but it uh, they are not. The two games of Portland, games 3 and 4 up in Prince George, and then they will rotate if necessary, games 5, 6, and 7 between those uh, two cities pretty, pretty far apart. Uh, and uh, what I think is probably the best series of the entire first round in the WHL, you've got the Kelowna Rockets 
starting on the road against the Seattle Thunderbirds. Both those teams playing some pretty good hockey, and uh, one of them will be out in the first round. Over in the Ontario Hockey League, the uh, playoff brackets look like this. In the West, you have Windsor against Sarnia. The London Knights square off against the Kitchener Rangers in a series of uh, classic rivals. A Flint takes on Owen Sound, and the Sioux Greyhounds will square off against the Guelph Storm. In the East, you have Hamilton against Peterborough. North Bay to play the Ottawa 67s. Kingston against Oshawa. And Mississauga against the Barry Colts. Five of those uh, OHL series begin on Thursday. We're going to move quickly because I want to get to uh, our guest this week. But I mentioned the World U18s beginning on uh, this weekend. They begin on Saturday, the 23rd. The opening game of the tournament for Canada and for the United States, well, it's against each other. Canada finally able to name their team. Remember, they basically they have forced to wait for the end of the OHL and the WHL seasons uh, to make the uh, final additions to the roster. It's a 26-man roster, including three goaltenders, half of the players from the Western Hockey League, and half of those players are from the Swift Current Broncos. You got Matthew Ward, Josh Philman, Josh Davies, Owen Pickering, and Connor Vidson as skaters, and uh, Reed Dick, who I believe will be the starting goaltender uh, for uh, Team Canada. They're all on this team. A couple of Victoria Royals in Kalen Parker and Braden Sherman, who you heard on the program here last week. Ethan Buenaventura, the uh, goaltender of the Calgary Hitmen, uh, as well as uh, Graydon Seatman uh, with the Hitmen. Was some question whether Connor Bedard would uh, go to another World U18. He's been there uh, already last year down in Texas. Well, he is uh, on this team, as, as well as a Tanner Howe from the Regina Pats, both of those guys. Well, Bedard had a 51-goal season and 100 points as a 16-year-old. Ridiculous. And Tanner Howe, also tremendous season, 69 points in 64 games. And we knew that there would be some uh, outside-the-box thinking uh, for Team Canada this year. Riga Lorenz, I don't think, is a surprise to be on this club. A great season for the Okotoks Oilers. Potential first-round pick uh, for the upcoming NHL draft. Then you got Matthew Morden, who played at St. Andrews College this year in Ontario. Big defenseman, six foot five, ranked really late in the NHL draft by Central Scouting. Uh, has played a couple of games for the Muskegon Lumberjacks this year, and he is one of four players who are coming off USHL rosters, which I found interesting because uh, Nick Moldenhauer and Adam Fantilli, who you'll definitely need to know for the 2023 NHL draft. They play for the Chicago Steel. Now, the USHL playoffs start next weekend. The U18s will not be over <laughs> by the start of the USHL playoffs, but the Chicago Steel are going to have a bye in the first round, so they actually, those two guys won't miss any time. But Michael Master Domenico, who's a defenseman of the Lincoln Stars, I think he will, because I believe Lincoln will be playing in the first round, so he might miss a, a game or two uh, in the uh, opening round uh, for Lincoln. I, I might be mistaken in that, the scheduling, but I did reach out to uh, Bill Robertson, uh, the commissioner of the USHL, and he said USHL playoffs start next week. This is the last weekend of the regular season. That according to Bill Robertson. Some of the other standouts uh, on Canada's roster. Uh, Matthew Wood of the Victoria Grizzlies had a monster year. He's going to uh, Connecticut for his NCAA career. Hey, he also had 85 points, just like Riga Lorenz, but he did it in 14 fewer games. David Goyette from the Sudbury Wolves, who I tried to get on the show, actually, for the last couple of weeks, uh, but might have to wait until after he comes back from the U18. Then there's that gap between the U18s and the draft itself. 
Usually that's about a month and a half. Uh, this year it's going to be more like two and a half, three months. Uh, so hopefully I'll uh, be able to track down some of the players uh, that I still have on my to-get list uh, before the draft rolls around. Uh, speaking of the USHL, still three teams only in the Eastern Conference who have uh, locked up their spot in the playoffs. Youngstown is uh, on the verge of doing so. There's only two games left in the uh, regular season for all of the clubs. It's really coming down to Madison, Cedar Rapids, and it, and the uh, U.S. National Development Program. One of those uh, teams will not make the playoffs, and right now, uh, Team USA is uh, on the outside looking in, but only by one point behind Cedar Rapids. The Western Conference is all set. Tri-City and the Sioux Musketeers will have a bye in the first round. So you got Lincoln, Omaha, Fargo, and Waterloo. A little bit of playoff seating to be determined between Fargo and Waterloo. All my guests this week and every week join me courtesy the Troubled Monk Hotline. The brewery, the tap room is open in Red Deer. And that's one of the places that you can go to pick up your order, which you can order online. You go to troubledmonk.com shop. Click on the uh, big banner and it says, here's all the details about ordering online. There's three places that you can pick up your orders in three different cities. Red Deer is at the uh, tap room, uh, Edmonton at the Bountiful Farmers Market, and at the Calgary's Farmer, and at the Calgary Farmers Market in Cowtown. Those three places you can pick up your uh, order that you placed online at troubledmonk.com/shop. All right, it is a uh, shorter episode this week. Three guests, uh, but uh, obviously for for good reason. We got the WHL playoffs starting on Thursday, holiday Monday because of Easter. So uh, Tuesday and Wednesday were the times for the interviews this week, putting the show together, getting it out in time, uh, just so it's available for the audience uh, before the start of the WHL playoffs. There are just the three guests this week, but uh, terrific guests. All three of these interviews are fantastic if I do say so myself. We'll begin with Mike Snee from College Hockey, Inc. An extended conversation. It's like a half an hour interview, and we cover a wide variety of uh, topics, including uh, massive expansion for Division I hockey over the last you know couple of years and then over for the next two or three years and beyond that. We get into some of the uh, prospective uh, programs, and some of them really, really intriguing for sure. Talk about the transfer portal. Lots of uh, areas that we cover with Mike Snee. He's the executive director from College Hockey, Inc. Uh, From that conversation, we'll have a 2022 draft spotlight with a uh, defenseman. He's now turned 20 years old, still eligible for the draft. And why do I want to have him on? How many defensemen do you know who have 100-point seasons? Well, that's what my uh, guest this week has done. Zach Bookman from the Brooks Bandits getting ready for the Alberta Junior Hockey League final. He and the Bandits are taking on the Spruce Grove Saints. Neither one of those teams has suffered a defeat in the playoffs just yet, so something's got to give there. Uh, that's That should be a terrific series. And uh, Zach Bookman, on his way to college, he's going to play at Merrimack starting next year, but uh, we'll talk to him. I was really intrigued because he's from Syracuse, New York. How does how does a guy from Syracuse end up in Brooks? Uh, great story, and uh, we had some laughs along the way as well. So, uh, Zach Bookman in the draft spotlight this week. And we will close things out with a look at that Edmonton-Lethbridge series through the perspective of uh, Peter Anhold. He is the general manager of those Lethbridge Hurricanes. So a lot to get to on this week's show. We'll start with a college hockey segment. Mike Snee, the executive director of College Hockey, Inc. He is up first here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. 
Adam Fantilli spins a pass though. Sam Oskevich up high, scores! The Stingray in overtime, up high! Pierce is won by Corpy and Chicago wins a thriller. Four to three, Mackie Samoskevich, welcome back, Stingray. Hey, this is Mackie Samoskevich from the Chicago Steel, and this is the Pipeline Show. WHL Playoff Hockey returns to Rogers Place. And your 2022 Edmonton Oil Kings playoff passes are on sale now. For only $129 a seat, you get access to every home playoff game the Oil Kings play. And the more we play, the less you pay. Be there as NHL first-rounders Sebastian Kosa, Katie Gooley, Dylan Gunther, and the powerhouse Oil Kings chase the crowd. Edmonton Oil Kings playoff passes are on sale now. Great family entertainment at Rogers Place. All WHL playoff long starts at just $129 a seat at oilkings.ca slash playoff pass. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. And boom goes the dynamite. Hey, we're back on The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. We'll begin this week's episode with a uh, college campus report segment. And, of course, those are always brought to us by our friends at College Hockey, Inc. If you're a player or you have a player in your family, there are things you need to know what you can and can't do in order to maintain your college eligibility. And you can get in touch with uh, with people like Mike Snee, who's the executive director at College Hockey, Inc., uh, or anybody else on the staff. Uh, check out their website at collegehockeyinc.com. It's a great resource as well. Uh, but they'll be able to answer any questions that you might have. And uh, I'm happy to be joined by Mike Snee today, the executive director from College Hockey, Inc. Mike, how are things where you are? Well, you're calling me at a good time, Dee. <laughs> I'm at the annual College Hockey Meetings which occur in Naples, Florida. I, I was going to say every year. They haven't occurred the past two years, but we're back this year, and uh, all of college hockey, men's and women's, the various divisions, gather here to talk hockey, talk through rule changes, and, and really just uh, celebrate the end of one season and, and then look forward to the start of another season. So I, I, I know where you are, Guy, and I, <laughs> I don't want to show off, but I think I have a better view right now than you do. I think you do. In fact, I can't see a, a whole lot uh, outside of my window because of all the snow. We're uh, unseasonable snow that we're getting around here uh, right now. So, yeah, we'll skip the uh, the weather portion and let's get right to business. Uh, I always lead the segments off by saying that if there are questions that you have about maintaining your eligibility to get in touch with you or your staff, maybe I want to start there. You do these tours around uh, North America. Do you take them overseas yet? Well, we, make, we were supposed to make our first trip overseas back in the summer of 2020. Uh, we were going to the Czech Republic or okay. Czechia, I guess now. Yep. And uh, as with a lot of things, uh, things changed. That didn't happen. But now we are headed back over to Scandinavia this summer uh, for uh, for our first journey overseas. We've been able to do a lot over in Europe via Zoom and virtual technology here the past few years. But right. it'll be nice to go over there and be in person. Okay, well, I've been to a few of the ones that College Hockey Inc. has held here in the Edmonton area, usually in Sherwood Park. I know the first couple, I think, were in Spruce Grove. But when you are in these events and, and you get to uh, interact with the parents, especially, and, and the players themselves, what sort of questions are the common ones that you get asked seemingly all the time about uh, what they can and can't do? Well, normally our audience is, uh, I would say, let's say the 14 to 17-year-old range. So, um, first, we want to introduce our organization to them. That's the most important thing. Make sure that they're aware of College Hockey Inc., what we are. We're a nonprofit. We never charge anything. We want to be viewed by, by young players and everybody that influences them. So that could be their parents, um, their youth coaches, their friends, whatever it might be. 
we want to be viewed as a free resource for them for um, for answers and, and a resource so that um, if they are interested in NCAA hockey or or they're considering it and they just want to make sure that they do what they need to do to be eligible for it, should it be something that they have an opportunity to play at some point, um, that we provide those answers. So the events that you mentioned that we host up in Sherwood Park, we also host them down in Okotoks and really throughout Canada. Um, those are introductory uh, events where we give a little bit of information, but truthfully, I bet a lot of parents leave there with more questions than they came with um, because we want to, we really want to expose them to all aspects of college hockey, the hockey part of it, the on ice part of it, but also the college part of it, the academic piece, resources that are made available to, to, uh, to student athletes so that they are able to thrive and succeed in school. So I would say the overriding thing is just here we are, we're not going anywhere, we want to be a service for you, and we never charge anything. Well, I get asked all the time, or at least I used to, especially in the early days of this show, is why do you talk so much college hockey on the show? And I always say, well, it's about the future of the NHL, and there's about a third of the players in the NHL are from college hockey, and about a third of the players playing NCAA hockey are Canadian. And that's why it's of interest to to me and and this show, and you just uh, look at the Frozen Four this year and the uh, the Denver Pioneers, half their roster Canadian uh, national champs uh, yeah. this year. What an exciting Frozen Four. Eh? I mean, you had four teams legitimately could have uh, come out of that as national champs. Exciting tournament. Yeah, I think I think we always say that. You know, well, anybody could win, and, and I guess that's always the case. But this really was one of those years where you play that four, tournament four times, you have four different champions. Mm-hmm. Um, but then to add to it is the rosters were different. It wasn't like they were all constructed the same way. So there were some compelling uh, differences in how the, how the different rosters were put together. And as you mentioned, the, the Denver roster was noteworthy for a couple of reasons, one of which was just it had a significant um, flavor to it from Canada. Um, including the game-winning goal scored by Mike Benning, whose father has been a frequent guest speaker, father That's and right. brother, actually. That's right. Frequent guest speakers at our events in Sherwood Park. So, um, so yeah, and, and, and to help, I guess, answer your question, when people ask why do you talk so much college hockey, uh, we actually have a record number of Europeans playing college hockey this year, 119 Europeans, and that number is quadrupled in just six years. So I guess I would look at it less like Canadian more so and and uh, just more international, just like the NHL. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for a variety of reasons, technology and, and whatever it might be, um, there's so much more awareness, not just throughout Canada, but throughout the hockey playing world for NCAA hockey. Mike Snee is the executive director from College Hockey Inc., my guest here on the Pipeline Show. A uh, end of an era, and that might be understating it, uh, Jerry York has decided to retire. He's been uh, a a Division One coach since uh, before I was born, and uh, a head coach since I was in diapers. Uh, well, I was born in '71, so uh, he—I think he's been a head coach uh, since '72. Yeah. Uh, that I mean, that what an exceptional career for Jerry York, and um, it's—it's really going to look a lot. It's going to feel a lot different uh, just with him not on the bench anywhere. Yeah, such a legend and a word that we might overuse, but you can't possibly overuse that word or any other accolades for Coach York. As you said, been coaching now for, for half of a century. Started at Clarkson, went to Bowling Green, and went back to Boston College in, in 1994. Won a national championship at Bowling Green. Won countless national championships at Boston College. And just his legacy, whether you want to measure it by players in the NHL, uh, championships at, at the various schools he's been at, or really just the people that he's kind of pumped out into society. I, I don't know if you saw that graphic that we produced. Ten years ago, Boston College won the national championship. So we did a look back at ten years ago, 
uh, and what that team is up to now, what that Boston College team is up mm-hmm. to now. And there's all the, the you know, Johnny Gaudreau was on that team. Chris Kreider was on that team. Several NHLers were on that team. But so were a couple of guys that started some companies. And so were two of them are school teachers, and one of them is still in med school. Just the, the, what they've been up to, but the most impressive statistic, 100% of the players on that national championship team have their university degree from Boston College. Mm-hmm. And that's that, I think, is is probably the biggest thing that you can say about Jerry is um, what he impressed upon those young men on the ice. He clearly had a lot of success with it, but um, but off the ice too. And we're going to miss him. It will be odd to actually think there's somebody else coaching Boston College, but um, I had a good fortune of getting to know him personally. He's, he's a wonderful human and uh, all our best to Coach York. Just out of curiosity, I don't know if you know this off the top of your head, but academically for hockey players compared to basketball or football or baseball or any other uh, sport, do the hockey players rank fairly high in terms of their success academically at, at NCAA Division I uh, programs? I do know that off the top of my head, actually. Yes, oh. that's a great question. So the graduation rate for men's Division One college hockey players is 93%. Wow. Of all Division One men's sports, that's fourth. Um, I'm going to draw a little bit of a blank here. I think it's field hockey, skiing, and fencing are the other the sports that have a higher graduation rate. I don't know the basketball rate or, or the football rate, but um, you know, hockey hockey is is very very high, 93%. Every school has their own just general graduation rate. How many people at this school graduate? You know, how many people that enter as a freshman are going to graduate. And in almost all cases, the graduation rate for hockey playing student athletes is higher than just the general student population. So it says a lot about the student athletes. It also says a lot about, um, I think the focus that when you are a student athlete, that it actually makes you know, generally makes you do perform better in class, not, not worse in class. And you asked right at the start of our interview, you know, what's something that parents will, will inquire. And this isn't just, in Canada, this is U.S. and in Europe too. That there's a belief, I think, that man, can my son really pursue all of his aspirations to become the best hockey player he can, mm. and all that's required to, to be a student. And it's just proven over and over that absolutely you can leave it all out there from a hockey standpoint, and uh, at the same time, be earning your degree. That's great to hear. Uh, Mike Snee from College Hockey Inc. is my guest here on the Pipeline Show. Uh, let's look ahead to uh, all the changes coming up here for for college hockey, uh, Division One college hockey. You got new programs, uh, some programs that have been on the shelf that are coming back. Robert Morris uh, comes to mind, and and Alaska Anchorage Great coming back. Yeah. Yep, fantastic that they're both coming back. Haven't heard anything about Alabama Huntsville yet. Any uh, update there? Uh, not much of an update, other than the people down there that want to make it happen. There's some passionate alum that played down there, won some national championships. Um, uh, those guys, uh, they're, they're still at it. I think they're still trying to figure out how to make it happen. A few things need to occur for that to happen, but there's still a lot of passion down in Huntsville. And, okay. and you saw that passion over in Pittsburgh at Robert Morris and Derek Schooley, who, uh, was their one and he's their one and only men's coach they've ever had. Uh, they also have women's hockey at Robert Morris and is, is almost a little, little less than a year ago, uh, out of the blue, they got their program eliminated and uh and they did but they did not give up and it was one of those true kind of grassroots efforts where they just didn't kind of take that decision from the it was the president at the time and and here we are 11 months, months later and and they're back and they won't be playing this upcoming year but they'll be playing the following season uh, back in atlanta cocky and and uh that's that's great to see so 
Um, and you mentioned Anchorage too, and Fairbanks never went away. So we've got our two schools in Alaska back for this upcoming year. And, uh, and then a whole lot of, of new schools coming on board too. Yeah. You said Robert Morris, not, not this coming season, but the season after. So 23, 24. That's right. They won't play oh, okay. in the 22-23 season, but they will play in the 23-24 season. Okay, thank you. I was mistaken with that. I appreciate it. Yeah, so new programs. We just had St. Thomas start up uh, last year. Enrico Blasi, the head coach there, had him on That's right. uh, last summer. And just had Rick Zombo on from Lindenwood. They're starting up this coming year, so that's exciting. Uh, new head coach uh, just named for, for Augustana, which is a school that uh, – Sioux Falls, right? South Dakota, I, I unfamiliar with in fact it's funny because lindenwood augustana you got stonehill in uh is in massachusetts uh these are schools i'd never heard of and maybe that's because i'm north of the border but until they be, they land on the hockey map i i'd never heard of them and now there's it, it's i think that's it's right. opening it's exposing them getting them some more exposure to a, a whole new audience too i think that's the power of hockey is uh of you can uh, one it's you know, when you play a higher profile sport like that, what it just does for your awareness. But two, hockey, schools like that can compete well and actually win national championships. And we talked about that Frozen Four and how the rosters were different. Well, the school profiles were very different, too. You had two of the biggest athletics brands in the country in Michigan and Minnesota, Power Five schools, big time football and, and all that goes with that. Um, but the two schools that came out of the semifinals were Denver and Minnesota State Mankato. Great schools, but not necessarily at that profile. Mm. And I think that's what Augustana sees. Augustana is a lot like Minnesota State Mankato. In fact, they're just a couple hours straight west of of uh, Mankato, Minnesota. First hockey, the first Division One hockey program in the state of of South Dakota. And they can. And what they're doing, I don't know how much you're aware of what they're doing, but they've received significant um, donor funds already. They've already broken ground on a 3000 seat, beautiful on campus uh, facility. The lead, the support they've been getting from school leadership, community leadership. It's going to be, I, I think a wonderful program and give them a few years. They will be able to compete well. And as we're learning from schools that are like a Quinnipiac, um, they're going to be able to compete for a national championship. Yeah, you don't have to be a school the size of Arizona State or something like that uh, to be able to have a, a successful program. We're seeing that, as you mentioned, with a school like uh, Quinnipiac. Uh, Long Island, uh, not that long ago, what uh, th- was this year two or three for uh, the Sharks? So, I mean, uh, good question. I think this was year two. I think for so. The, for the Sharks. Last, yeah, yeah, last season was first, and this was their second year. So, and we've had, you brought up St. Thomas earlier, and even Arizona State, which is kind of like the veteran newbie now, yeah. um, because they've been around for, uh, I think, seven seasons of competition. But it is exciting to see the growth, of both literal growth with schools adding, but also venturing into new new areas where there hadn't been college hockey. And, and this year, actually, Arizona State will be completing their story because they're opening their new on-campus 5,000-seat first-class rink. In fact, you know, it's been widely covered. That's where the Coyotes are going to play as well. Um, so, um, But that one is really going to finish the story for Arizona State. Now we're going to have student sections and, and uh, all the colors and the pageantry of being on campus and being in their own buildings. So that's, that's really exciting for all of college hockey. Well, I guess that's where I'm going to go next is you talked about great that you're expanding the footprint of Division One hockey. Uh, could there be other places 
Rick Zombo, when he was on last week, said he was part of a conference call with a lot of these other uh, coaches or programs that are kind of uh, close or just joining Division One. He mentioned Utica, and uh, I've seen reports of that as well, and we've heard Navy and Illinois. Could there be more expansion coming? Well, we hope so, and, and if there is, we have to thank our wonderful partners at the NHL. Uh, they funded the feasibility study project. We did a feasibility study at Lindenwood. Uh, most of these schools that add hockey, the, 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 the entry point or the starting point, I should say, is doing a feasibility study so they can evaluate what would it cost, what would be required for them to, to, to add for that school to add hockey. Um, and, and I would, I would say Rick's right on with, with Utica. There's a couple of uh, aspects here that questions that need to be answered, but, um, similar to Augustana, they have school leaderships fully on board from the president on down the community leadership's fully on board. They have the AHL facility in town ready to compete in. They already compete at division three hockey. So what they're actually trying to do is similar to St. Thomas elevate all the way up to division one. Um, we're, we're hopeful. We're, we're pretty confident uh, that that will become official sooner than later. And, you know, again, just yet another, uh, there'd be the 64th division one men's division one hockey program. And they also have division one women's hockey as well. So, it's exciting on both fronts, women's and men's hockey. And then, yeah, he asked about other ones. Illinois is firing it back up. I mean, coming out of uh, the, all of the damage from COVID, financial and otherwise. Yeah. And so Illinois was on the verge, literally on the verge, back in early 2020. And then um, then the pandemic happened and, and that uh, delayed things there. But we're hopeful that uh, it'll take them a while perhaps here, but that they're restarting things uh, we have a few other schools that we're talking to in a confidential manner. They're just not yet ready to be public about it, but they're inspired by what they're seeing from the other schools that have added it. And and um, and so hopefully we have even more good news coming. And then one school that I, I really just want to mention because it's a pretty special opportunity, um, a, a long ways from happening yet. They uh, haven't really had any official announcements, but it's definitely been been in the news and they've talked about it informally and that's tennessee state university oh, which that's is right. in nashville yeah tennessee state's an hbcu which is an acronym for historically black college or university uh very tradition rich university in nashville with a long history of many wonderful things including um tremendous track and field history with a lot of u.s olympians having having competed there but um, we got, got a chance to get to know their school leadership, including their uh, their athletics director, Dr. Mickey Allen. He's just a fabulous person and very inspirational person, hockey fan. And, um, and I give him full credit, sees the vision for not just for bringing college hockey to Tennessee, but bringing college hockey to an HBCU. Uh, they don't have a club program yet. Not one HBCU has a club program. So hmm. there's a lot of work that needs to be done, but the Nashville Predators are just all in fully supportive of this. The National Hockey League is fully supportive of this. And then it just starts at the university with their president, their athletics director. Um, not yet, not right yet at the point where, hey, we're moving ahead and we're going to pursue this. Um, but there have been some pretty, pretty good and exciting conversations that have occurred that have been pretty well documented in, in various uh, newspapers or other news coverage. So that's what I want to put out there because I think that's something we're really proud to be part of and, and uh, more so we're just really excited for it to someday happen. Oh, that'd be fantastic. What a great story that would be for sure. 
Uh, I was thinking about uh, other potential programs further out west. I don't know if that might happen to be what you're alluding to about uh, a program you couldn't name yet, but I'm thinking like UNLV or Oregon or uh, somebody in California, UCLA or or USC, something just to expand the footprint a little bit further west. You got so many players coming from that part of the United States now, but they always have to travel so far to go play. Uh, maybe something closer to home for those uh, West Coast people. I always say that our goal is that Mich- that uh, Oregon and Washington have a series in February and the Pac-12 title is on the line. Hmm. Well, whether we can have that happen in five years or 25 years, uh, who knows, but that's what we're working towards. Uh, but in the spirit of, of complete honesty here, I, I wouldn't say that we're very close at all in any of those schools. Uh, the other schools that I mentioned that are confidential for now are not schools in the West. Okay. But the types of things that I think will help us very long term um, is Arizona State getting this building. And now other similar schools out West, out in the Southwest, out in the Pac-12 can look at that and say, you know, that was that didn't exist nine years ago. And now here's this very successful team playing in a 5,000 seat building, filling it for every game, which they will thousand students at every game, alumni at every game. It's making an impact on campus. It's making an impact on students, alumni, and all that that college athletics is meant to do. So having that as a a bit of a show-off piece um, in Arizona State beginning this winter, I'm confident that that's going to help give us a new and improved um, story to to take to these schools out west because that's absolutely what we want to do. I also think having... NHL teams like the Seattle Kraken and the Vegas Golden Knights that mm. not only are there, okay, because that's a big deal just to be there, but the way they're going about their business where they are absolutely investing time and money in growing the sport in, in where they are. They're not just trying to sell tickets. They're trying to grow the game and do it authentically. And we have had very preliminary get to know each other discussions with both of those teams and everything looks like it would be beyond supportive, but, but I also don't want to categorize this as, uh, you know, keep, uh, keep June open for a big announcement coming from <laughs> any of those schools. Cause I don't see that happening, but that is definitely our long-term goal. Fair enough. Now, all of these uh, new programs, they start out as independents. You got six conferences right now. If you get up to 65 or, you know, heaven, 70 teams, can you sustain at six conferences? Do you need realignment? Do you need to create new conferences? How do you mo- handle that moving forward? That's a really good question, and that is an important consideration because conferences fulfill many, many. Uh, or, or, uh, um, what am I trying to say here? They, they, they want. They give you a schedule. You know, they create. Um, they create rivalries. Um, if you have six or more programs, then you get an automatic um, entry into the NCAA tournament. So there's so many reasons why being in a conference is. Um, it's not required. I mean, it's almost required, I would say. Arizona State's made a good run here of being an independent for probably as long as any school has ever been an independent. Um, but I think most would advise that it's better to be in a conference than not in a conference. So what you point out is real. Um, that uh, whether whether this leads to another shuffle of conferences or whether it just leads to a seventh conference, that, uh, I guess everything's on the table. Um, I, I, you know, in, in the end, that's really a decision between the existing conferences and these independent schools and, and what, um, what that looks like. But having a fair number of independents at this moment does allow for the independents to stick around and succeed and have a schedule because 
uh, kind of uh, it'll be an unintentional conference because they're all be all these independent programs yeah. and they need opponent they need opponents and they need late season opponents and they need late season home opponents. Traditionally, if you're in a conference, your late season games are all conference games, and certainly your late season home games are all conference home games. So I think just having this critical mass of whatever it is now, I think it's six six independent programs um, allows those six programs a, a better chance for. Uh, not and not just survival. I mean, they'll survive, but to flourish. With all this rapid expansion, adding the new programs, is there enough talent to sustain it? Uh, and um, my gut feeling is yes, because of the how how quickly hockey is growing in the states. And you alluded to also the international component, getting a lot more players from Europe, especially let alone Canada, uh, to come in. Do you have any uh, questions or concerns whether or not these programs will be able to fill out their their rosters with uh, Division One caliber players? I will answer that in a bit of a different way. I would say we're just finally doing what we should have done 20 years ago. Hockey participation in the States took off in the 80s and then exploded in the 90s, um, both you know, with just overall number of players playing, but where they're playing. You know, it went from, I think, I think people think of the 3M states um, and where most hockey was, was concentrated in the U.S. 50 years ago to now it literally is border to border, coast to coast. Um, the NHL grew. The NHL started to grow in the 90s, and most of their growth was into the 90s and the early 2000s. USA Hockey did a phenomenal job of enticing people to build rinks in every city in the country. And when the rinks were built, the kids followed. And next thing you know, you've got guys like Austin Matthews, dominating the NHL and literally being born and raised in Phoenix. Mm -hmm. What didn't happen though, to, I mean, it happened a little bit, but nowhere near to the degree it should have, which is college expansion. So the expansion that's happening now, I believe should have happened 20 years ago. So to answer your question, absolutely. You can handle it. And in fact, we need more because right now we're just catching up. We're just trying to be 10 years behind instead of be 20 years behind. Um, so I think, you know, based on, solely the, the number of Americans playing hockey and then the increased interest in Canadians and the significantly increased interest in European players in playing NCAA hockey. Um, I think we need to add a lot more programs. All right. Well, we'll look for that moving forward. Last uh, subject I wanted to broach with you is uh, the transfer portal. Uh, and this is something that's kind of really evolved here over the last, what, two, three seasons uh, with a lot of, it used to be just seniors, but now it seems to be open to, to more players uh, and uh, having the super seniors, all you know, fifth-year eligible players now because of COVID. Moving forward, is the using the transfer portal like this is it good for players? Is it good for teams? Is it bad for either? Or is it a little bit of both for everybody? Uh, how many more segments do we have? <laughs> as long as you want to go. <laughs> um, that, that's a question that's not we're not able yet to answer that. I think. And you said two or three seasons. It's not even a year old. Yet. Wow, really? That's how crazy it is. It's not even a year old yet. Yeah, it just started, was introduced last summer. Um, so we're into our second batch of, of transfer portal players. But um, so so now players can transfer. Student athletes can transfer. They get one opportunity to transfer without having to to sit out a season, which is what they used to have to do if they transferred without having been a graduate transfer. Um, and as you have laid out, and it's certainly a, a hot topic of conversation. And it's also, I should note, it's not just college hockey. It's all of NCAA athletics. So okay. the transfer portal is part of football and basketball and volleyball. So it's not a hockey thing. It's an NCAA athletics thing. Um, and then to make it even more interesting, if that's not interesting enough, 
it's introduced in this moment when when um, student athletes were granted a fifth year of eligibility. So if you were competing in in athletics and in, in hockey last season, so the 2021 season, um, you know, a year a year ago, um, all of those student athletes from freshmen all the way up to seniors received an extra year of eligibility. So you basically grew the pool of college hockey players by 25 percent mm-hmm. by doing that, and then you introduced the transfer portal. Uh, where you can transfer essentially for free. So right now it's it's pretty full. I I haven't looked in quite a while, but it, I mean it's pretty full. Um, but it's hard to really draw useful conclusions this early into it because it is early into it, so we don't know yet. And then it is inflated, we believe, heavily inflated because of the existence of these student athletes that have five years of eligibility. And there'll be two more years of those players because it was everybody that was competing last year. Right. Um, so it's, it will be hard to, to just sincerely answer your question until we go through this, until the, those COVID fifth year players um, work their way through the system. And then we'll evaluate, um, you know, what the net effect is. I'm, I'm pretty hopeful that in the end it'll be used in the right circumstances when just a change of scenery is needed, both for the student athlete and for the school and, and nothing's ever perfect. So there certainly are times where that's just the right answer. Um, and that it won't really be much more than that. But in all truthfulness, we just have to wait and see how it ends up being utilized and what it looks like in, let's say in five years or so. All right, we'll do that. Uh, Mike, what do you have uh, planned for this uh, off season? Are you uh, doing the tour again? We'll be up in our neck of the woods uh, at some point. We sure will. Yep. And uh, we might actually adjust it a little bit. We're, we're uh, our partnership with the Alberta junior hockey league. If you're referencing Alberta in particular, our, our, um, our partnership with that league just continues to grow. Ryan and the leadership at that at that league uh, and the number of players coming out of it. I mean, you you talked about how Denver won the national championship with more Canadians uh, than any of the other schools. I think they had more Canadians than the other three schools combined, actually. And and a healthy number of those players were from uh, from Alberta. Yep. The game winning goal was scored by Mike Benning. Carter Savoy just uh, just signed his contract and just left uh, for pro hockey. I think he signed an AHL contract, but he'll yep. he'll be in the NHL. Um, so, so Alberta is just such a critical province to us and the Alberta junior hockey league is critical to, to that as well, because if a player decides, Hey, I want to stay eligible for NCAA hockey. Well, you know, college hockey doesn't come along until you're 19 or 20 years old. So you need a, you need a great place to play and continue to develop as a player. And the AJHL is definitely that league for us, for, for players in Alberta. So what our plan is next year is to come up multiple times um, instead of just one time in the off season and actually host events in partnership with teams that are part of that league. So that as we're sharing information about college hockey, we're also, whether it's introducing them to the AJHL or, or, or giving them a deeper look into what the AJHL is like, because for, for most players, I would say the vast majority of players from Alberta, the Kale McCars of the world, um, that they're they're if they choose to play NCA hockey, they will almost certainly have some um, um, Alberta Junior Hockey League aspect to their career. So that's what we look forward to doing next year. Uh, we we planned on doing it this past year, and then just with uh, COVID uh, interrupting things again, we weren't able to get up there and do that. But yeah. so look for us to be up there next winter. Fantastic! I will do that. Uh, let me know uh, when you when you have the dates uh, firmed up. We will, Guy. We appreciate all of your support. Well, I appreciate your support uh, for the Pipeline Show as well over the last uh, decade plus. Uh, a great relationship uh, with uh, with the show and with the College Hockey Inc. 
and uh, well, big fans of college hockey. It's uh, it's a lot of fun to watch, and and that's something we didn't touch on either is uh, the expansion uh, uh, of just the uh, the exposure we get now. So many games we're able to watch. I remember in two thousand and seven, the first Frozen Four I was able to watch. I had to go to a, a buddy's TV studio and watch it on satellite. Uh, that uh, we could get out of the states, we couldn't just get it on TSN like we can now. So yeah. we've come a long yeah. way. Well, now you could have been anywhere because TSN streamed the entire NTA tournament this year. So exactly, you could pick anywhere you want to be and just stare at your phone and watch the entire NTA hockey tournament. And TSN, they're they're also. I, I don't mean to sit here and show love to all of our partners, but TSN <laughs> this year we had over a hundred NTA games on on the various TSN platforms. So great relationship that we've had with uh, with that crew and we really appreciate their support too mike as always uh this has been terrific thanks for doing this we i kept you a long time but it was awesome likewise Keith. appreciate everything have a great day that was mike snee from college hockey inc we touched on it at the end there but uh, they've been a big uh, supporter of the pipeline show for almost since its inception i was able to go to two or three of their uh events when they host them around edmonton they're well worth everyone's time if you have aspirations or at least considering uh, going the college path. I would uh, encourage you to check them out. They always have some speakers, local guys who either played or their families, guys who played in the NHL but played college hockey, guys who were you know probably in the Edmonton area. Uh, he mentioned the Bennings. They were at one that I was at in Sherwood Park. Uh, before that, they did one in Spruce Grove. And I don't remember who the player was. I know I remember he's played in Denver. I'm trying to remember his name. Oh, I feel bad now forgetting his name. But he was a local uh, product. But lots of uh, great information uh, when you go. And there's always three or four coaches as well, NCAA uh, coaches, whether they're head coaches or assistant coaches. But they're on hand to answer any questions that you might have. So check that out when they come through, uh, not just the Edmonton area, but they do it across the country. And as you heard him mention, uh, they're going to uh, try to do some in Europe as well. So that's awesome. Next up, a player who's uh, playing in the AJHL right now, but going the college route. He's going to play at Merrimack College. His name is Zach Bookman. He's an American, but he plays for the Brooks Bandits, and they are off to the Alberta Junior Hockey League final. They will play the Spruce Grove Saints. So we'll talk uh, to Zach, get to know him, and uh, man, 102 points this season in 55 games. Did I mention he's a defenseman? He is on the radar for NHL Central Scouting, and that means we need to get to know him. We'll do that next here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Pashnuk with a fake shot, and he goes the other way, spinning a couple more spins, two or three of them. Princeton Pashnuk. Pashnuk with a shot. He scores! Far down! Princeton Pashnuk! Are you serious? Hey, it's Princeton Pashnuk from the Arizona State Sun Devils, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Five-time Alberta Junior Hockey League champions, the Spruce Grove Saints, are back and welcoming fans to the Grant Fuhrer Arena for the 2021-22 season. A community-minded Junior A hockey organization offering affordable family entertainment. Tickets to big league hockey at affordable family rates range from $9 to $15 with free parking and some of the best food and drink specials in town. For more information on tickets and how you can become a partner, go to sprucegrovesaints.ca.
You're listening to The Pipeline Show with... If one of y'all says some silly-ass name, this whole class is going to feel my wrath. Gee Flaming. Son of a bitch! Hey, we're back on The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming, and uh, the program brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best beef jerky. Uh, two locations, Spruce Grove, Leduc. Uh, but if you're in Western Canada, any order, anywhere, any size, they will ship it to you out west. And uh, just get in contact with Trent in Leduc, and they'll take care of all your beef jerky needs. It's uh, highly recommended. Uh, That's wilhockbeefjerky.com. All right, we're going to turn on the 2022 Draft Spotlight segment and get to know another player that's eligible for the upcoming NHL Draft. And uh, my guest right now, well, it's a bit of a downtime. Uh, Busy because it's the playoffs, but they got a little bit of a break before the the AJHL final starts. Uh, Pleased to be joined by uh, Zach Bookman. Uh, Zach. Of the Brooks Bandits, uh, Zach, welcome to the Pipeline Show. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Thank you for having me on. Uh, can't wait to get going here uh, for the finals. Well, I appreciate you being available, and maybe just uh, update everybody the situation. You, you, the Bandits undefeated so far through uh, the AJHL playoffs, getting set to take on another undefeated team in the Spruce Grove Saints, and that series doesn't start until next weekend. So you got a lot of time off here. Oh yeah, uh, we've been uh, preparing. We're uh, taking it day by day. Uh, at- you know, honestly, the break's kind of nice. Uh, we got some guys who are uh, getting back from injury, so the more time, the better for them. And we're just uh, getting prepared for uh, a great final coming up. Well, the Bandits have been a juggernaut in the AJHL for, well, a long time. It's got to be a decade now. And uh, the, the Saints are also a perennial powerhouse and a contender every year. Uh, so the two, the fact that you two clubs are meeting in, in the uh, AJHL final again, not really a shocker to anybody, but the Bandits have been the number one team in the entire country uh, for pretty much the entire season. What's it like being on a team that is that dominant? Uh, I mean, from an outside perspective, it's almost like, yeah. are you being challenged enough? Like, is it too easy for you at this point? Uh, no, I wouldn't say it's too easy, but uh, yeah, I mean, our coaches and uh, obviously uh, Ryan Papalano has a great job recruiting guys and you know, he got me from the States and he you know, he does a great job building this program for every year. This team competes for the league and competes for a national championship. So we're just trying to, you know, give back to him, you know, for for all for him bringing us in this obviously this uh, powerful organization and this uh, powerhouse that he's built uh, in this time here. So we're just trying to give back to him for giving us an opportunity to play. Everybody knows last year was basically wiped out because of COVID. Uh, how eager were you guys just to get this season underway? And thankfully, I mean, you played pretty much every game this year. I don't think there were any stoppages in the AJHL. Uh, that I can recall, nope. maybe a couple of postponements and rescheduling for some teams, but I think every game got played and into the playoffs. It's, it's got to feel pretty good to to actually get in a full season and the and the postseason. Yeah, it feels great. Um, last year was a, uh, uh, it was it was definitely a hard year for us players and definitely the coaches because you know we didn't know if we were playing every weekend. We treated every game like it was our last, and yeah, it was definitely you know a struggle you know mentally last year just. And this year's been, you know, a whole different uh, game of events. You know, we've been playing. We know we're playing. And uh, it's been great just staying in a routine. And, uh, and all the guys are loving it compared to last year, obviously. So. 102 points for you uh, this season in 55 games. And I haven't told everybody yet, you're defensemen. Uh, those are ridiculously good numbers. <laughs> uh, do, do those, I mean, does that surprise you at all? I don't know what you're – if you're a guy who sets, like, statistical goals for yourself at the start of the year, if you are – uh, I would not believe you if you told me you thought you'd get a hundred points. <laughs> no, I'd, uh, I, I definitely did not think I was going to get a hundred, but, uh, 
obviously when you play really good players, uh, you know, guys like Ryan McAllister, uh, TJ Hughes, Devin Phillips, uh, Dario Belgio, and our power play is really special. And I get most of my points from the power play. And uh, my D partner, Boston Buckberger, is also a really good young prospect for this draft. And obviously in the future, uh, playing with him is great. He's uh, helped me in a lot of ways yeah, he doesn't even understand. So definitely playing with good players and, you know, letting them help me get points and, you know, it's just, it, it works great and we have a good system here and, and I'm, I'm thankful that the coaching staff uh, has been giving me an opportunity to succeed and put me in good spots where I can, I can get points and I have been uh, producing this year. So yeah, 20 goals. Anybody would be happy with 20 goals. You got 21 of them in just 55 games. Uh, but you, you know, there's 80 plus points when it comes to uh, just setting guys up, and you, you described yeah. it on the power play that you're getting a lot of those points. And I would have to think the Bandits have a a pretty deadly power play. You're not the trigger guy necessarily. You're you're more of the uh, the guy who sets up the trigger man. Yeah, I mean, I'm on the right side, and when you got T.J. Hughes with 66 goals and uh, Ryan <laughs> McAllister with 57, um, I'm I'm gonna get majority of those assists uh, most of the time because those guys are you know shot threats and. You know, but they're looking to put the puck in the back of the net. So, you know, I say me and uh, Devin Phillips are more of the setup guys on that unit. So me and him usually pick up the helpers and those two usually put it in. So what's the season series like between yourselves and the, uh, the Spruce Grove Saints who you're, you're going to meet here in the finals? Uh, how many times did you play and what was the record against them? Um, I, we played them three times. We went two and one. Uh, we, we beat them on home ice twice. We played them in, uh, the showcase when now all the teams were here, it was a it was a great event. We played them there, we beat them there, and then they came here for the Teddy Bear Toss game. Hmm. Uh, we beat them, and then uh, we lost to them in overtime on their ice. Um, it was a great game. Uh, all three games were close, and you know it's going to be the same for this final. There's no be no easy game, and we're going to have to play very well to move on here. Well, I would have to think so. I, as I mentioned, both teams undefeated to this point in the playoffs somebody's going to lose the first game. If you happen to be that team that, that does lose the first one, how do you deal with that? I mean, the first bit of adversity in the postseason, you got to put it in the rearview mirror right away and get ready for game two. Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, we've dealt with adversity. You know, guys have been hurt, and uh, we've, we've lost some games on home ice. We've, we've lost a drum our last game of the season and our first game of the season. Mm-hmm. So we, we came in the playoffs uh, with a little bitter taste in our mouths, and uh, – yeah, I mean, if we end up dropping the first one, we just gotta realize that hey, we gotta, you know, build it here, get a split, and obviously go back to Spruce. But uh, that's definitely not our plan. Our plan's to get two at home and go to Spruce and see what we can do. Zach Bookman is my guest. He plays for the Brooks Bandits out of the Alberta Junior Hockey League. Defenseman, over a uh, hundred points this season uh, in the AJHL, getting set for the uh, Alberta Junior Hockey League finals, uh, kicking off on uh, what the 29th, I believe. Zach, in this part of the show, we uh, like to get to uh, let our audience get to know a player that's eligible for the upcoming draft, like you are. And uh, the Pipeline Show is a junior and college hockey show, so my regular audience will know about the uh, the AJHL and certainly about uh, yeah. colleges like Merrimack where you're going. But there'll be a lot of casual NHL fans who uh, will listen to a segment like this just because you're a draft eligible player. Yeah, uh, they might not know anything about the AJHL. They might be, you know, from your neck of the woods in the States and have never heard of the AJHL. I'm going to ask mm-hmm. you about that yourself. But um, for the benefit of those people, maybe let's start at the beginning. And uh, you, you mentioned you're from the States. Uh, where in the U.S. are you from? Um, I'm from Syracuse, New York, uh, right of central New York. Um, pretty small city. Uh, there's been a lot of uh, 
NHL players who uh, are from Syracuse, guys like Al Tuck, uh, Joel Faraby, Anthony Angelo. So, uh, yeah, Syracuse is a pretty good uh, hotbed for good young prospects, I'd say. Who, who got you into hockey, and do you remember how old you were when you first started playing? Definitely my dad. My dad got me um, introduced to the game. He played when he was uh, younger, and he played college or a local college near uh, Syracuse. So I think it was around four. He put me on skates, and ever since then, I've just loved it, and it's been a been my pastime ever since. Have you always been a defenseman, Zach, or did you try other positions like up front or heck, even throw the pads on, maybe? Um, no, I was actually I always wanted to be a forward, but uh, when I tried out for my for the for the team in Syracuse, I already had too many forwards for that for that AAA team, so I decided I mean, maybe I'd just try out D for a year, see if I like it. Maybe I'll keep playing if I like it, and I. I liked it even more than forward because I got to pretty much play forward from D. So I ended up loving it, and I've, I haven't changed since. Uh, I'm interested to, to find out how you ended up in Brooks because obviously it's nowhere near uh, Syracuse, uh, New York. Yeah. And I, I know all your your hockey before you got to Brooks was all in that New York area, wasn't it? Buffalo, Rochester. I don't know where Millbrook yep. School is. Is that also in in the state of New York? Yes, that's uh, downstate New York, kind of near New York City, like a half hour north of new york city so around there all right so how on earth uh, do you get connected with the brooks bandits and ryan papuano the head coach there i don't know how he recruits you or is that through like a family advisor or something how does that all come together no that's uh so my head coach at millibrook uh vinnie soriano um he knew a brooks scout uh dave chevrier and uh he kind of mentioned to me uh if you're not if you're not comfortable with the ushl route um maybe give Brooks a chance or, you know, reach out to Brooks. And, uh, yeah, I, uh, I considered it and, you know, Dave reached out and then I got connected with Pap and, uh, I see, it seemed like a really good fit for me. And, uh, yeah, I, after the, I had a call with Pap, I committed to him and the rest is history. Uh, now I'm curious why it was more comfortable for you than going the, the USHL road. I imagine that you had a uh, one or two teams. I don't know if you were drafted by a USHL team, yeah. but, what was it about the AJ and Brooks specifically that was more uh, interesting or a better fit than the USHL for you? Yeah, well, I, I definitely had some USHL options. Um, but, I mean, I just didn't feel comfortable with, uh, you know, the process of I, like making a USHL team and all that stuff. Um, there's like a three or four camps you got to go to before you, you're on the team type stuff. And, hmm. you know, Pat told me that I would have a role here. I'd, um, I'd obviously have to earn my ice, but you know they're they're going to use me in spots where I felt like I could succeed, and I just didn't think a USHL team could, you know, offer me those those minutes and offer me those opportunities. So I decided to go with Brooks, and obviously guys like Kale McCarr and you know a lot of others have succeeded and went through this program, so it seemed like a really good fit. Yeah, pretty good track record uh, with the Bandits for sure. Yeah. Did you know where Alberta was, let alone anything about the AJHL itself? Uh, I'm sure you had never heard of Brooks before. No, no, I I had no idea there was junior. I only thought there was the BCHL, and okay. I didn't know the I didn't know the AJ exi- existed until uh, my coach at Millbrook told me. So it was definitely a little bit frightening coming up here because yeah. I didn't know what to expect. I'd never been out of the country, so 
but yeah, it's been a great fit and I've liked it here since I moved here last year. I mean, it's really taken a leap of faith to some degree. Did you, did you have a chance to talk yeah. with any, I mean, you mentioned Kale McCarr. I don't imagine you just calling him up and, and ask him about it, but did you have an opportunity to talk to anybody who might be able to give you a bit of a heads up of what to expect uh, before you uh, arrive in Brooks? Yeah, a little bit. Um, one of my teammates at Millbrook actually is really good friends with uh, Devin Phillips and he was on the team obviously the year before I was here. Mm-hmm. So I, I, uh, I was talking to Philly a little bit before I came out here and he was just telling me, you know, that you're we're more than welcome, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, the Americans are treated just as good as the Canadians. There's, there's no problem there. And obviously it's a great facility. He showed me around the facility over FaceTime. Um, but yeah, he did a great job selling it to me and I, I give a lot of credit to Philly and obviously Pat for, you know, telling me what to expect and he didn't sugarcoat it and he just gave me what it was. And I liked what it's, I liked what he said to me and it sounded like a really good spot. Does anybody forewarn you about the, uh, the, you know, if the wind is blowing from the wrong direction in Brooks, you get the (laughs) the smell from the the slaughterhouse there at the North end of town. It is absolutely disgusting for anybody who hasn't been there. But I mean, does anybody tell you about that or do you get to experience that firsthand? That was, I, it was brutal. Like, I get off the plane and I'm driving the Brooks and I'm actually in the car with Pap and um and I'm like, what is that smell? And he's just like, oh, you'll get used to it. And he didn't really explain it at the time. And then I asked a couple of guys, they're like, yeah, this is like, like one of the biggest like meat producing like companies is like sponsored by us, JBS. I'm like, oh, it, it smells so they got to figure it out. But but yeah, it's the smell is definitely a. Uh, not a plus. <laughs> Not a plus. <laughs> Not a plus, that's for sure. Um, all right, well, tell me about uh, Merrimack College. Uh, that is your uh, NCAA Division One uh, program of choice. Uh, yep. I believe if everything goes according to plan, you'll be with the uh, the Warriors starting next season? Yep. All right, tell me why Merrimack was the right fit for you. Um, when I was playing my 16 or my 18 new year, I was playing with Rochester, like kind of a split season right before Millbrook. So I was playing for both teams just mm-hmm. right before and uh, Merrimack was watching me a lot. They watched me in the summer, and yeah, I just I really have a really relationship with uh, with Dan Jewell there. He's assistant coach, D coach, and uh, yeah, I mean him. He, he recruited me years before when he was at RPI, and then so I was thinking about going there because he was obviously there. And then when he made the switch over to Merrimack, he obviously stayed on me a lot. And then when he offered me the deal, I just couldn't say no. It was you know Dan's been with me and he's believed in me ever since I can remember. So I definitely owe it a lot to Dan. And then obviously the head coach, Scott Boris, a great guy and the whole staff's been great to me. And I can't wait to put the uniform on. I haven't mentioned it, but I should uh, tell the audience that uh, you are 20 years old now, just turned 20 at the end of March, uh, still eligible yep. for the draft though. Is the draft something you think much about? I mean, you are uh, on the radar for NHL central scouting. I mean, they list you at 208 or something like that. So according to that yep. number, no guarantee you get drafted, but is, is it something you spend much time thinking about? You've gone through the draft uh, once or twice already. Yeah. Um, kind of not really, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's been some there's been some interest obviously this season with the point production and yeah. whatnot, but yeah, I'm not really. If it happens, it happens. If not, you know, I'm just gonna go with college with an even more bigger chip on my shoulder, and uh, yeah, I just keep taking it day by day. And if I get drafted on the draft day, I'll be really excited, be really happy, be a dream come true. But if not, uh, I'm not gonna worry 
too much about it. I'm just going to keep continuing working if or if not. The sheet I'm looking at, the list you at five foot ten, 176 pounds. I don't know how up to date that is, though. Where, what are you at now? No, that's uh, sounds about right. Uh, five ten and a half, around 180 right now. So it's pretty much spot on. And uh, I have uh, hopefully a little bit of growth spur here. I got some uh, some bumps on my knees, so hopefully <laughs> that means another half inch or something. But but yeah, it's about right. Well, wow, I've never heard that before. Is that is there any kind of science to that? Bumps yeah. on your knees. Our trainer was saying it's something like, I don't even know what it's called, but it's supposed to be growing pains or whatever. Okay. So I hopefully she's telling the truth. Uh, if not, I'll be really upset <laughs> for these pains for no reason. So. <laughs> all right. That's a new one. I've never heard that before. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, obviously, you're not the bit, you're not 6'4 and, and 215 pounds. You're no, having no, success no. at your size, though. And I, and I know you probably get asked about, you know, are you too small and stuff all the time. But. We're seeing lots of players your size having success as a as a pro. A lot of guys even getting to the NHL. Why is uh, it not a you know a, a hurdle that you can't uh, overcome uh, for yourself? Obviously, it's it hasn't hampered you at all um, this season for sure. Uh yeah. I mean, I think the game's uh, transitioning to a more skating, skillful game. Obviously, uh, you know, if you're six foot four and you can do that, that's the bonus. But most guys of that size can't move. To, to the speed that the game requires now so there's a lot of smaller guys who are getting getting looks and and getting success because they can move so well and most d at that size are just as fast or as fast as the forward so i mean if you can skate fast and think think the game fast i don't really think size matters in today's game Zach, being a, a guy from New York, uh, are, are you? A, did you grow up a, a Sabres fan or a Rangers fan? Or uh, I mean, you're in Southern Alberta now. Are the Flames rubbing off on you? Who was your team growing up? Well, this is actually kind of weird. Uh, me and my dad are Bruins fans. Um, it's kind of weird that we're not Rangers fans or Sabres fans. But he uh, he always liked the Bruins growing up because they were always on TV. So he uh, he pretty much told me I'm a Bruins fan or I'm kicked out. <laughs> so I just decided to go with him as a Bruins fan and. They're pretty good, so happy. <laughs> yeah, they've been good for a long time. Anybody in particular, like in the organization or around the NHL, that you look to as sort of a, you know, they might be a bit of a blueprint for you on how you can play yeah. and, and have success? Definitely, you know, two or three guys. Obviously, Kale, with being when Brooks, uh, he practiced with us. I look up to him a lot. He's obviously a great player. I would say Kale, definitely Tory Krug when he was a Bruin, and mm-hmm. obviously now he's still a really good defenseman. And, uh, recently it's been tony d'angelo on uh carolina hurricanes just a just a solid shifty power play quarterback right-handed shot smaller guy like myself so definitely those three well zach listen i uh i really appreciate your time i enjoyed the conversation a lot best of luck to you in the uh the bandits against spruce grove and whatever happens in the draft maybe we'll chat again once you're uh, at merrimack thank you appreciate it <laughs> 102 points for uh, that last guest. What an amazing season, not just for uh, Zach Bookman, but the Brooks Bandits were, and we've come to expect it now from the Bandits. They're just a, a dominant force in junior A hockey in uh, in this country. Uh, they've got a tough test, though. The Spruce Grove Saints will definitely push them, but, man, they uh, dominated all season long. The top 20 in the Canadian Junior Hockey League, I would guess probably going all the way back to, like, October, they've been at the top. The entire time. I don't think they, once they got to the top, I don't think they were ever knocked down from that number one pedestal. Uh, I I could be wrong on that, but if it happened, I missed it that week. 
The Bandits, they will be. The, I'm guessing they will be the favorites going into the series. They've got home ice advantage, uh, but the Saints don't look past them and don't count them out just yet. That is a very good team as well. The AJHL final starts on April 29th. The Western Hockey League final starts on the 21st. Only one game to start things off. The Edmonton Oil Kings hosting the Lethbridge Hurricanes. We'll get a preview of that series from the perspective of the GM of the Hurricanes, Peter Anhold. Pete's up next here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Hey, it's Jake Neighbors from the Edmonton Oil Kings. Sawchuck. Here comes Neighbors driving away. Backhander scores! What a shot! Oh, Jake Neighbors backhander on the rush. It's 4-3 Edmonton. And you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Since 1965, Wilhawk Beef Jerky has provided fresh, top-quality beef jerky made with 100% Alberta beef. From your very first bite, you'll understand that real jerky isn't found at the convenience store. It's tender, full of flavor, with just a hint of subtle spices. Wilhawk's jerky is aged, seasoned, and marinated to lock in the flavors, and then smoked to perfection. Wilhawk Beef Jerky. It might just be the best you've ever tasted. Try for yourself. Search W-I-L-H-A-U-K today. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. The cream will rise to the top. Oh, yeah. The cream of the crop. Nobody does it better. Hey, we're back on The Pipeline Show. Final segment for this week's uh, episode as the WHL playoffs begin on Thursday. And, uh, of course, here in Edmonton, I'm part of the Oil Kings uh, broadcast, broadcast crew and uh, that's a hard one to say, broadcast crew. It's easy for you to say. Uh, you, you would think. <laughs> get my tongue out of the way. Uh, the uh, the Oil Kings are hosting the Lethbridge Hurricanes, which uh, means it's my pleasure once again to uh, speak with the Season 8 as the GM of the uh, Lethbridge Hurricanes. It's uh, Peter Anholt. Uh, Pete, welcome back to the Pipeline Show. How are you? Thanks, Guy. Yeah, no, I'm good. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Uh, the invite. Well, I appreciate you being available. And right now, uh, going into the playoffs in the Eastern Conference, well, don't look now. The Lethbridge Hurricanes might be the hottest team. 6-0-1 down the stretch. Uh, there's got to be a, a renewed uh, sense of optimism and uh, confidence with your club, including one of those wins in, against the Edmonton Oil Kings. And that's got to be an important one as you start a, uh, a best of seven. Well, I, I think when you look at our hockey club, it's been a bit of a trying year in a lot of different ways. Um, and really, I think we've really come together here in the last month and a half. I, I, I look to the trip out to Saskatchewan or out to the Eastern Division starting uh, in Winnipeg um, in the first part of March. Um, and that trip, we had seven games. We managed to come home with seven points. So we came home 500. We knew that was going to be a real hard trip. And, and since that time, I, I think we played better. Guy, I, I think as a group, uh, I think we're, we're finding our way, um, better. And I think we probably are a little bit more consistent now even in the last 10 games but i think it all kind of started uh, with those with that trip out east and and uh the guys got together and you know it was after the trade deadlines and and so on and so you know i i think 
you know, I think we're in a pretty good spot. I mean, we know we're up against a hard opponent and, and uh, you know, certainly major underdogs. But but I think from our standpoint, we're fairly satisfied with where we're at, at least. Well, you've had to make some changes uh, over the course of the season, and you've moved out some big names like Alex Cotton uh, along the way and uh, Logan Barlogi. What was your plan at the start of the season? And, and when you make those those trades... I mean, I'm thinking, trying to think back what the standings were around the deadline. I think the the playoff picture was pretty muddy back then, even until about a month ago for your club. Uh, you started to lock things down in the in the final weeks of the season. But what were your thoughts, you know, midway through the season or even earlier when you traded Alex Cotton away? Well, I I think when we went into the year, uh, we were an older team, uh, old team, and probably not the most skilled team. Um, so I wanted to play it out a little bit to see where we're at. I, I think when you really look at it, when you think of the, the O2 groups, uh, they really were 17 and rookies, you know, without any playoff experience, uh, when we shut down the league a few years ago, a couple of years ago. And, and I don't think they really learned how to play how you have to play in playoffs and we've we've had a lot of playoff games here over the years uh, you know since I've been here and and those are really important uh I think experiences mm-hmm. but I think when you look at that group key they really didn't have anything cuz we got shut down that year and and so they're coming into this year we had a lot of O2s uh, we had our we had our ones as far as the overages go, um, and we, I just wanted to see how they were going to be as 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 leaders. And and I think you know we weren't really satisfied with how we played. We were a big team, but I didn't think we played big enough for my liking. Uh, I think we're we're playing a lot harder. We're a lot harder to play against right now than we ever were back then. Uh, so. You give guys the opportunity. You you try to muddle through it as best you can, and and since then I think we've retooled with a lot a younger team, but we've got probably more skill now. Uh, I think, and and I think that's showing through. We I think we skate better, um, you know, and 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 it all kind of goaltending. I mean, Thompson's been real good you know, down the stretch, uh, winning some big games for us. And, and Jared Picklick has been good geese, uh, down the stretch. So, so I think really, you know, we like how our back end is shaped up. Uh, I think we're big back there and yet I think we can skate and move the puck. So that I think is good. And guys like, you know, Jet Jones and Thacker have really taken a step this, you know, down this, down the, down the, the stretch here and, and Halsey, you know, you can't, I can't say enough about Justin Hall. I mean, you know, he came here as a 17 year old, probably was questionable to play at this level and, and yet has continued to get better and better and better and has, you know, has really put up a good year for himself here and for us. You have a five goal game earlier this season, Justin Hall. 
Yeah, he did. Yeah, he. It was one of those games where it was just happening, right? It, you know, and uh, everything seemed where he put put the puck to the net. It went in, and you know, he's he's really turned out to be a real good player for us and a leader. And you know, uh, we we really like uh, what he has brought to our hockey club, and proud of him as can be. You picked up Braden Edwards from uh, Winnipeg earlier this season, and. Uh, just watching the team from afar, it seems like that's the guy who's really started to engage and take his game to the next level too. Yeah, that uh, that is really really true. I, you know, we really like Chase Wheatcroft uh, as a kid and yeah. as a person, and his dad played here, and so there was certainly some history here. But but I think he was spinning his wheels, um, and uh, we gave him an opportunity. And but uh, you know we're really happy with that deal, like uh, to not only uh, acquire Edwards but a couple draft picks to boot. So that really, really was a, a significant trade for us. And you know, and and uh, Wheatcroft is one of those O2s that that uh, I watched closely and. And to see how this was going to play itself out, and as it turned out, it was it got time to a point where we were we were going to move them. So uh, I'm joined by uh, Peter Anholt, the general manager of the Lethbridge Hurricanes. You mentioned your netminder Brian Thompson. He's uh, six foot five and what about 185 ish pounds. He's a 20 year old now, undrafted, and I imagine there's some motivation uh, on his end uh, with that fact. But uh, over the course of the last few seasons, how have you seen his play? evolve and man some of these seasons you know the short one in the spring these have been challenging times for a guy's development but he seems to be getting better as as one would hope yeah and and you remember back we we brought him in as a 16 year old after the january 10th deadline after we'd we'd lost a a roster goaltender so you know so that was a you know that was an interesting situation for him to come in and play at 16 um you know uh at 17 i I thought he had a had a okay year i mean he just wasn't probably consistent enough to to be a draft i know lots of guys talked about him and then last year was really a you know we were playing for oven mitts for the basically the most part and i (laughs) you know and so we and we were in a situation where we had had a chuck um, and we couldn't do anything with anybody, you know, so we had to play Teddy and, and we liked Teddy a lot. And, and, uh, you know, so we had the two, you know, probably in a, another situation in a regular situation, we probably would have, you know, done something a little bit earlier, uh, to give, Tommy the the ball probably as an 18 year old but it didn't work out we couldn't we weren't able to do it and so you know this year we were able to do it early and we moved Teddy to Moose to give him an opportunity and we're really proud and happy for him of the year that he put in there so so you know I I think it's been a it's been such a strange development time for some of these players and and i think tommy's probably been part of that and uh but he's been really good for us this year and especially down the stretch key pete you talked about the importance of the playoffs to just to, as building block for uh, for development getting guys that experience moving forward is, is really beneficial for their career you got a guy like miguel marcus who's your uh, first round pick in 2021 10th overall uh, but you've also got a couple other young guys with you right now too. And Tristan Doyle is a first rounder as well, and and Trey Wilkie. 
Do you expect those uh, latter two guys to play? I know Marcus played a little bit at the end. Uh, will all of those guys see some ice time in the playoffs, do you think? Good question. Uh, you know, we'll we'll see. It's, you know, the coaches will put together the lineup that they think has the best chance to winning uh, of winning on any given night, right? right. So uh, we'll we'll see. We really like uh, Miguel Marcus. We we he's going to be a real special player, we think, and and so we'll see. He's been good when he's been in the lineup, but we know that it's going to be against a big, strong, old team in in Edmonton. So I. You know, we'll see how that how that works. We've we've all you know we've got eight defensemen here. Whether whether Tristan Doyle gets in or not, not really sure. Uh, Trey Welke has has been returned to Saskatoon, so okay. he he's not with us right now. But uh, you know, but we do have you know Noah Chadwick who's come in from from uh, the Saskatoon contacts, and he's been really good. He's a oh five, and he's been really really good since joining us. So so we're we're pleased about about the, the affiliates that have come in, but uh, you know you know how it goes. Uh, they'll get some good experience, but uh, that's probably what it'll be. I'm curious to get your take on your, your opponents, the Edmonton Oil Kings. They are uh, the set number two seed in the Eastern Conference. Uh, without tipping your hand too much, uh, when you look at this roster, how do you try to beat the uh, Edmonton Oil Kings? Well, whatever Daryl Sutter says, ditto to that. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, you know, hey, we're up against it. I mean, you you don't have that many world junior players on any roster and and then add add the rest of the guys uh you know without it being a a really really tough opponent key so i think we were pretty you know um realistic uh, of where we're at but hey you know what we're we'll take a bite out of them at least as best we can and see see how it goes uh, but we know we're we're in tough against them because I mean they're just like I I look back over history and I like I think back to the Massanet Tigers I think in '88 I think they had six World Junior guys that year and they won the Memorial Cup that year so I don't think there's a, another comparison uh, to the Oil Kings this year and I think they're really well coached I, I really like Brad as a coach and you know um, so I, I think we're we're in tough but hey you never know let's uh, let's take it a game at a time we'll see is it Edmonton's high-end talent and those drafted players the the world junior players and I think there's five of them for for Team Canada and the academic plays uh, as well in the uh, in the world junior tournament but um, or is it their depth or is it their, I mean, they're an older team compared to most in the league. Nobody has playoff experience, really. But the Oil Kings do have Justin Sordiff and and uh, Caden yeah. Gooley, who did play in the last uh, playoffs uh, in the finals. Uh, boy, that's uh, a long time ago, isn't it? 2019. Um, yeah. <laughs> is it is it one aspect of that? Or is it, I guess it's all of it, isn't it? Uh, Kurt's done a great job putting that team together. I, You know, it, it's, uh, it's a combination there. They're big. They're old. They're strong. They're skilled. Uh, you know, I, I don't think there's a weakness there. 
you know, it, it starts right from the goaltender on out. And, you know, they play hard. They play the right way. Like, they, you know, just because of how, uh, you know, how they how they've been coached. And, and so, so I, I, I think it's just a combination there of Guy. I, I don't think you can say one or anything. They can score. They can, you know, they can pound you. They can do a lot of different things, but, you know, uh, so, I, I, I can't say I would be one thing because, you know, even the guys that aren't the world junior guys are, are old and big and strong. So, you know, I, I, I think that that's just a real combination of everything that they have. Pete, before I let you go, uh, the Holinka Gretzky Cup uh, happening in uh, starts what last day of July and goes into the first week of August uh, this year. Usually it's in Edmonton uh, this year because of the world junior being postponed and pushed into August. Uh, Red Deer is going to host the uh, the Holinka Gretzky Cup, and you're a part of that staff. Uh, is that something you, you spend much time thinking about yet, or is it all Hurricanes right now? Well, it, yeah, it, Hockey Canada, we're, we continue to have uh, meetings or Zoom calls or you know uh, conference calls about about players and about the team, and and so that's really interesting. I, I'm I'm just as proud of as can be to be a part of it Guy, I like it's uh you know to be a part of team canada i think is something that's really special and and i'm lucky to be a part of it and and to work with al miller and scott salmon and and uh james boyd and and philippe boucher it, you know i like it's it's just uh, going to be a real real f- honor to be a part of it and and so and i look at that 05 group it's such a special mm-hmm. group uh, you know it's it's the hardest team in canada to make really when you think about it key because it's because it's it's a one age group and everybody's available and so you know it's if you're if you're left off that list it certainly isn't a, a shot at any player or anybody because that's that's a real special team and that 05 age group is pretty special yeah that should be a wonderful tournament and uh, canada always does well uh, at that event uh, pete uh, I really appreciate your time. Best of luck to you and to the uh, Hurricanes as the uh, playoffs start here on Thursday and Saturday up in Edmonton. Thanks, Guy. I appreciate the, the, the conversation, and I'm sure I'll run into you up there somewhere along the way. Here's Pete Anholt of the uh, Lethbridge Hurricanes, the general manager for that club. He's also going to be part of Hockey Canada's uh, management uh, crew uh, for the Holinka Gretzky Cup. I know he's got a little bit of say in what's happening with the World U18 as well, but obviously... A business at hand here for the uh, Hurricanes and for Pete as uh, that club gets ready to take on the Edmonton Oil Kings. The WHL playoffs begin this week. In fact, that's the only game, I believe, on a Thursday night as Edmonton and Lethbridge kick things off. Uh, they will play game two on Saturday. I think everybody else gets going on Friday. They do. Uh, your matchups, in case you were wondering, uh, Edmonton against Lethbridge. Winnipeg, the first place team in the Eastern Conference, they get the Prince Albert Raiders. Saskatoon and Moose Jaw will play, as will Red Deer and Brandon. And in the East, you've got Everett hosting the Vancouver Giants. Seattle and Kelowna, that might be the marquee matchup. Might be the best series of the entire first round in the WHL. Portland will begin at home against Prince George. Talk about travel. And the Kamloops Blazers will square off against the Spokane Chiefs. Some really good matchups in round number one.
Well, that does it for this week's episode of the Pipeline Show. Only the three guests this week because it was holiday Monday and with the uh, Oil King game starting on Thursday, it's a condensed week. So uh, just the three interviews uh, this week. Uh, we'll get back at it uh, next week, hopefully, with a, uh, a full week of guests, that being four, hopefully. Thanks to everyone who has uh, been signing up to be a patron. Patreon.com slash The Pipeline Show, where you can get early access to all the interviews that you hear on a, a full episode of the program, which usually comes out on a Friday this week, a Thursday. Uh, but all the interviews, they happen normally on a Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday, and are uploaded to the Patreon page shortly thereafter. If you're a patron, you get to enjoy those exclusively for two or three days before a full episode comes out. And that's a couple of bucks a month is all it costs, even less on an annual basis. But that does it for me. It is a time for me to get to the rink as the Oil Kings are hosting the Lethbridge Hurricanes. Andrew Peart and I will have the call at oilkings.ca slash radio. Dustin Forbes has the call from a Lethbridge perspective. If you're tuning in, why don't you hit me up on Twitter at TPS underscore Guy and uh, let me know where you're listening from. Until next week, everybody, my name is Gee Flaming. This has been the Pipeline Show brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. See ya.